0: Max Verstappen takes a dominant Grand Slam victory in Barcelona ahead of Lewis Hamilton and George Russell taking the first steps of Mercedes recovery. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato and this is Round 7, the Spanish Grand Prix. Max Verstappen was absolutely peerless in the circuit to Barcelona-Catalunya where both he and his efficient RB19 were in their element around the fast sweeping bends pole, every lap led, fastest lap of the race and a 24 second victory. There was no one who could stop him. Although Mercedes stopped at least one of the Red Bull racing drivers, with Lewis Hamilton and George Russell powering to a surprisingly easy double podium finish ahead of Sergio Perez. Perez started 11th but couldn't make the kind of aggressive progress that might have been expected of his car, leaving him 4th and 53 points off the title lead. So to talk us through a rather foreboding result for Max Verstappen at the Spanish Grand Prix, I'm joined by an old friend of the show. From The Athletic and also our sister podcast, Pit Pass F1, it's Luke Smith. Luke, welcome back to the Strategy Report.
1: Thank you, Michael. Really good to be back. As you said, uh, maybe <laughs> foreboding result. I like that way of describing the race, actually. It was uh, yeah not the not the most exciting Grand Prix, but um, but for once, we didn't just have a straightforward one-stop race. There were plenty of pit stops, a few different strategy op- options. So it's, um, yeah, a lot to get into, I'm sure. It was a lot going on. I do wonder at what point we stopped saying foreboding. Well, I stopped
0: saying foreboding anyway and just say, well, that's the way it is. So I feel like we're getting... Maybe close to that point Let's give it another more a few more races at least I want to talk about this track And the challenge of it And its place on the calendar It's traditionally the first Of what we kind of call the European leg Canada's always been in there in the middle <laughs> Kind of ignore that for the purposes of the theme Also wasn't the first Because we were in Monaco first this year But it is one of those tracks that kind of pegs a moment in time for Formula 1, doesn't it? We've got those opening that opening chapter of the season, if you like, over, and teams tend to bring upgrades, which we've been seeing, kind of is a more meaningful race in the broader context of the campaign than just being the Spanish Yeah, 3, definitely. I think,
1: as you say, this was always traditionally the first European race of the season, really. And this year would have actually been the first time that Imola took that place over. And a lot of the teams were bringing their main up grey packages to Imola obviously that race never happened then as with Mercedes as with a couple of others they brought some bits to Monaco but Monaco is such a, an outlier you can't really say whether they had the desired effects or not so that really did make Spain the first sort of proper race of the year in terms of it. its a traditional circuit we've got the updates arriving uh, Max Verstappen he's always said that he not he's not the massive fan of the street layouts and that maybe works better for him when he comes to a more traditional track like Spain, which we saw in full flow right the way through the weekend. But it's um yeah it definitely sort of has a an interesting point on the schedule because it's not there's not a lot of and I, I wrote this yesterday actually for, for a newsletter. There's not really a lot about the Spanish Grand Prix apart from its kind of existence. Like there's not really anything where you're like ah <laughs> oh, Spain has this element or this element. It kind of it's just there and it is an important like timestamp marker I think in the season and I think it could well be that we look back on this race as being a uh, maybe a turning point for Mercedes or where Verstappen started his march to the title but it's uh yeah it's an interesting moment in time definitely that track characteristic
0: that seemed to work for Red Bull as you mentioned is I think what's kind of interesting here, Lewis Hamilton said after the race, and this is kind of being taken as generally true, though as you say, I guess, had this been a different circuit that wasn't in Spain, we might just be saying the same thing about a different track, that if you go well in Spain, usually you've got a fundamentally good car. You may not be quick everywhere, as we know. In fact, and we'll talk about this later, Mercedes did pretty well here last year, (laughs) and they weren't that good at many other tracks last year. But Red Bull, certainly, we expect to be good at pretty much every track. They have been good at pretty much every track. What is it that we... Learned about the way the Red Bull car works at a track like Spain that that has us so certain, really, that this car is going to be quick virtually at the rest of the at the rest of the season's races.
1: Well, this is a track with such a mix of high speed, medium speed corners, a couple of slower ones as well, and it does. It's, that's why it was always such a popular track for testing. That's why it was used relentlessly before the, the more recent shift towards trimming the number of test days and going to Bahrain before starting the season in the Middle East. And Hamilton's right. If you do well in Spain, then you're going to be pretty good everywhere. And I think with the Red Bull, yeah, we saw that, especially in Max Verstappen's hands, like to win the race by 24 seconds probably managing quite a bit as well through that race like he didn't really need to push at any point the start was the only point he came under even the slightest bit of pressure then um then yeah it it does really I think sort of it does bode well Verstappen is someone that's always thrived off uh being able to chuck in the front end make it very pointy and, and catch the rear and a track like this is where he could he could really do that street tracks you can't really do it in the same way there's that extra element of risk of tapping a wall but yeah you come to a circuit like this and I think we saw Verstappen in absolute full flow the Red Bull it's just such a step clear of everybody it's we've talked a lot about the straight line speed advantage but it's just everywhere like that car just runs so so well so smoothly and it's really hard to see anything changing that sweep of races to the end of the season. I think it will take a retirement or an incident or a safety car, I don't know, but something like that to to stop Red Bull because the car is just on another level right now.
0: Sometimes I do think, though it's bad for the spectacle, it's quite satisfying to say, no, the car's just faster. It's just faster hmm. everywhere. It's not because it does something particularly clever. It's not because it's great on the tyres or whatever. This is just a very fast car, I yeah. think that is what what we're getting with Red Bull. I do want to contrast... We'll talk about the Mercedes and Ferrari upgrades as we go, I think, because they were sort of talking points of this race. But I do want to contrast something you said there, the way that Max Verstappen can really handle this car at high speed the way he prefers a pointier car to what we saw from Sergio Perez this weekend. Because I think even if we talk about Red Bull's pace having been foreboding all year, I think it was Max Verstappen that really stole a march this weekend. We didn't see... Any continuation of the potential challenge from Sergio Perez, maybe it will still come, but it certainly wasn't there this weekend, was lucky to get out of Q1, did not get out of Q2. He talked earlier in this year about this being a car that, that worked a little bit better for him than last year's car that he could really sort of express his driving style in. Is this sort of the counterpoint to that, that at a, what we might call a, a general circuit, a general traditional circuit that kinda really tests the car. If he wasn't able to to make the most of the machine at this track, is that really the the concerning underlying point for Perez's challenge?
1: Yeah, it is. I think that it was always clear that if he wanted to sustain this title challenge, he needed to translate the form we've seen so clearly from him on the street circuits onto the more traditional layouts. It was quite obvious. Christian Horner said as much after I believe it was in Baku or Miami and said that, yeah, Checo needs to, it was after Baku, sorry. He said Checo just needs to do this on a normal circuit now. And you've not really seen any signs that he can. Like we've moved away. Obviously Mon- Monaco, He blew a, a really good opportunity by crashing in Q1 and then hailing home in 16th. And then Miami, it was it's obviously a street circuit with an asterisk. Again, that sort of allowed Verstappen to play more to his own strengths. And then you come to a track like this and yeah, Checo looked looked lost really. He did. It was a very messy qualifying. The, the off in Q2 and then that meant the tyres were out the, out the window for him to have a good final lap in that session. And then in the race, yeah, okay, he got back to fourth, but that Red Bull should be finishing second. Like Verstappen did it in Jeddah. He did it in Miami fighting through from lower down grid positions to get a good result in Miami, of course, winning the race. And with Checo, yeah, if you want to sustain this title challenge, if you want to make it like really go the distance and take the fight to Verstappen, weekends like this just can't happen. Like, yeah, it's not going to go well if you just sort of have a a very anonymous weekend. So yeah, I think that it's, Not been a good weekend for Checo and his title bid. I think that we saw this weekend why Verstappen is such the overwhelming favourite. He's got the 53-point lead now as well. But yeah, you look at the runner tracks coming up and it's like, okay, Canada, it's a street-esque in places. Maybe Checo can come back a little bit there. But otherwise, like on a normal day, where does he beat Verstappen? Like Verstappen doesn't have off days. So it's, uh, yeah, not looking too uh, positive his outlook, I would say
0: yeah difficult fortnight maybe it could have even been a difficult three weeks if we had the full triple header so maybe it's for the best that we just had two races for now i want to look at qualifying now a little bit more broadly because as opposed to i think what we ordinarily get in spain which is a lot of teams understanding how the cars work here you kind of get a bit of a two by two qualifying order just because we pretty much at the limit of what the cars can do because they understand it so well this was quite a jumbled result in fact they were coming to the key talking points of the race as well seeing drivers come back from positions they probably shouldn't have been in. Perez was one of them. We also saw Charles Leclerc, admittedly for mechanical reasons eliminated from the back. George Russell didn't make it into Q3. We saw quite a mixed top ten, including with Lando Norris in third. I don't think really anyone could have possibly expected. The conditions were a bit weird though on Saturday, weren't they? And seemingly weird enough according to McLaren team principal Andrea Stella and other teams as well that we actually saw very specific characteristics of cars come to the fore why was it so random on Saturday I mean notwithstanding the conditions con- considering that Formula 1 tends not to have random results like that just when it's a little bit cold or just a little bit wet
1: yeah it was very strange wasn't it it was um, it did really just sort of throw everything out the window the tyres have been so sort of strange I think mm. over this weekend like we've seen um, yeah teams really report sort of different swings in performance and if you don't get it in the right window then yeah you're, you're completely lost we saw that with with russell with perez as they um, had their poor qualifying results and in in qualifying as well alex albon um talked about this in the pen afterwards and he said that there were like these little rivers of water running over the track but for some reason the, the color of the rivers like it wasn't enough rain to really stand out so it kind of just like blended in with the tarmac therefore he couldn't really tell oh, okay is that is that just um is that annoying? normal patch is that just uh is that a rain patch i should avoid so it was it was a very strange session yeah and i think it did um it did mean that we had this jumbled up order because we had drivers yeah trying trying different things obviously and, and going at different times and if they get the tires a little bit outside that window then it really did throw them off completely and i think that's uh we we saw again verstappen like he only needed one lap for pole <laughs> and it I think he went 1.5 seconds quicker than everyone on that first run or something silly. So that really showed where he was at. But yeah, it was a, a combination of that, a combination of, yeah, Alonso had his damage, Perez not being there... Russell not being there, Leclerc not being there. And that meant that people like Lando Norris and and even Carlos Sainz, like second on the grid, is mm. probably beyond what that Ferrari should be achieving. But it's, um, yeah, it was a very jumbled up session, very strange.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of drivers as well in the top 10 who seem to have this impression that they should have been second. If only many other things <laughs> had not happened. Fernando Alonso, of course, <laughs> well, should naturally. have been second. <laughs> yeah, of course, yes. of course. I mean, really, he should have won the race. We all know. That oh, that's obviously, yeah. Naturally, what he should have been able to do. Let's talk about Carlos Sainz and Ferrari here as you said, qualified second. He seemed pretty buoyed that a first home podium could be on the cards. In some senses, it felt like he's a little bit like the forgotten home star, considering the (laughs) Alonso hype. But nonetheless, he was the one who was flying the flag, uh, not only for his home country, but also for Ferrari up in second place. Almost looked like he could grab the lead off the line with a pretty good start, the slipstream down to turn one, didn't manage it. And then I think there was a general understanding probably wasn't going to happen after that. But, What happened subsequent in his battle with what turned out to be Mercedes, I thought was really quite interesting. Ferrari looking backwards, tried to preempt the undercut by stopping really early. That seemed to really unravel his race completely, though. Although I suppose, look, it's debatable whether Ferrari had the pace to finish higher than it did at all.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm inclined to say that they didn't. I think they were firmly the third fastest team this weekend, trailing mercedes trailing uh, red bull as well obviously and science said after the race that it was just all about management like again this tire weakness that the ferrari has had for well really ever since the start of these regulations at the beginning of 2022 and ferrari has always said no 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 we're not weak on tire management it's just that if we want to try and match the pace of the red bull then we have to push more therefore the tires degrade quicker therefore it looks like our tire management is really bad and that was the line last year but now this year it's pretty obvious no the car just isn't very good on its tires and science said he couldn't push like there was nothing he can do we we heard in the early part of the race he said look i've got pace in hand but he had to hold back to make that strategy work and that's why yeah he was a, an absolute sitting duck against hamilton against russell perez easily got ahead of him as well there was no real chance he stood of, of of hanging on in there and across all three compounds the pace wasn't that good and he uh yeah he came away afterwards i think honestly he did the most you really could like to qualify second and finish fifth that's probably the ceiling for what ferrari could have achieved this weekend in spain like just that's where the car was at but um but yeah but he, he made a joke about uh how easy it was to overtake and he was like well for everyone passing me at least because i couldn't put up a fight and it was very very true so yeah very very strange weekend for science i think that he he can probably be quite pleased with what he did but for ferrari like as we look further into the season, when we have these maybe more demanding tracks when it comes to tyres, then yeah, he's going to be, it's, it's going to be a, a big struggle, I think, for Ferrari because it's clearly such a big weakness still on this car and something they need to understand if they want to try and be a serious threat moving forward.
0: Yeah, I thought the illustrative point was that Sign stopped nine laps Earlier than Lewis Hamilton did, so Hamilton effectively overcut him. Let's say it came out only two and a half seconds or thereabouts <laughs> behind Science, which is a remarkably small amount for that number mm. of laps. Uh, considering the fresh tyre advantage it's normally present at this circuit well it is present at this circuit not normally it was there uh, but just not for science I thought interesting as well that during the race I mean Charles Leclerc was having a pretty ordinary race anyway fighting up from the back the fact he couldn't score points is sort of its own story there uh, but there was a little bit of debate on team radio at the end about whether or not he should be switched to the hard tyre again he didn't enjoy it in the first stint team kind of overruled him there's some team radio floating around whereby he says I don't want to stop if we're getting hards they say okay then stop and then they give him hards anyway I wonder whether or not that sort of uh, if it just speaks to the fact that this team is i don't want to use i hate using the word crisis and i think that's overblown but this team is really at a moment now where it's realizing it's got an upgraded car it's got issue what it should have had development compared to last year as well but is realizing it's actually boxed in a little bit here with with, with the tools available
1: yeah definitely and i think that really has to be the reality check that ferrari needs it's always said that oh we're not gonna like not think about the championship or anything like that like it's too early to say these things but it's but that's the reality of where they're at like ultimately this is not a car that's capable of winning a championship it's not a car that's currently capable of winning a race it's very very good in qualifying trim and when you put Charles Leclerc in the car we know what he can do in qualifying we saw that so plainly in baku then uh, yeah then a good result is possible but when you have races like this where yeah it's it's tough on the tires and there's a lot of race management going on then that kind of exposes more of the weaknesses i think for ferrari so i think that it's a, it's a, it shows where they're at. As you say, they are kind of boxed in right now. That okay, they brought the upgrades to this car. Yes, it's a step forward. Jock Clear on Sunday he was saying that to, um, he he reckons the game was something between two and three tenths with the upgrades, and he said in Barcelona that is actually a really really good sign because again alluding to Hamilton's point, if it goes well in Barcelona, if it makes gains in Barcelona, it, that's a good signal for everywhere you go. But that's still nowhere near enough to get in the fight with Red Bull but also if the race is still if if the long stints still don't work if it's still struggling so much then it kind of doesn't really matter in the same way so I think that's something they need to they need to understand they're confident that these upgrades will make the car less peaky it was something that science and the clerk have talked about in the past that it's just so inconsistent between compounds and it's uh, very wind sensitive as well but I think that yeah it just seems like Ferrari right now they're not They've not fixed any of the major issues. They're still in a similar kind of spot. They're happy with what they've done with these upgrades, but it's not going to be the kind of step forward they need it to be. So yeah, let's see. I just fear that as the season wears on, they're just going to keep sort of treading water in this kind of, Yeah, sometimes second quickest, sometimes fourth quickest uh, kind of area.
0: Yeah, and I mean, the drivers were still talking about unpredictability between the rear axles, which is obviously not a great sign for the car upgrade. But the team has said they're bringing new parts to pretty much every race for the rest of the year. So maybe that will be dialed out over the next couple of rounds. Now, just before we continue with the Spanish Grand Prix, I wanted to talk about uh, another podcast from the Evergreen Podcast Network called Press Box Access. Join former sports writer Todd Jones as he interviews one of motorsports most accomplished writers, Al Pierce, and he talks about everything from NASCAR and the death of the legendary Dale Earnhardt Sr. to his first ever experience of the Formula One paddock in Canada. So
2: NASCAR was basically primitive compared to Formula One. And I did not realize how advanced Formula One was until I went to Montreal and left there thinking... My God, those people, they are, they're they either brilliant. Or, and the other thing that impressed me about Montreal was the money that seemed to be there, mm. the social scene, the, the yachts along the waterfront. I was told about all the jets that had flown in that weekend, all of which was just something I couldn't quite fathom until I looked at it and saw it up close. So Formula One was just... Uh, it just blew me away because I was not prepared to see things that sophisticated. Right. Yeah, I think sometimes if, if folks could just walk into a garage, you know, they probably have a, in their mind what it's like. But if you took them into pit row, um, it, it's like a different
0: world. You can listen to the full episode of Press Box Access featuring Al Pierce wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Now, let's get back to the Spanish Grand Prix and our chat with Luke Smith from The Athletic. And we've talked about Ferrari, but Mercedes also had a spotlight on car upgrades this weekend. They introduced new parts in Monaco, but like we've already said, Monte Carlo is not really a great place to analyse new upgrades. So this was really going to be the test in Barcelona. Maybe somewhat inconclusive in qualifying considering we got such a, a, a random afternoon in those conditions. But I think looking at this race, there's no question that there's a step forward that has been made. You know, we can talk about the strategy of Hamilton and Russell essentially overcutting science and, and Russell overcutting a fair few more cars considering he started down in 12th. But by the end of the race, really by the middle, of before we even made those last pit stops, it was clear that they were they were bound for podium position so long as Paris could make up too much ground. The car was just that quick. But we do have this sort of counterpoint that actually last year the car was pretty quick as well. What's the the vibe, I guess, we got from the way Mercedes was able to execute a pretty clean race or a pretty good result in terms of their mission to try and recover competitiveness?
1: I think it's a really good sign. I think that, as you said earlier, Yes, Mercedes was good here last year as well. Therefore, you can't maybe read too much into it. You can't make any massive firm conclusions. Lewis Hamilton said after the race that, yep, it was way too early to take any firm firm conclusions about is Mercedes back or anything like that. But I think it feels a little bit different to last year. I think last year there was still, that they cured that porpoising issue, at least they thought, and then they dug deeper into more problems. And I think this year there's always been that awareness that, Yeah, they know what the problems they are. They know what the problems they have with this car and they could tackle those from the very start of the season. So I think for them to be good here is a really, really good sign. They're not sort of, um, they're not, the issues aren't masked as they were last year by the Pobson, let's say. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Russell, he said that even after two laps, he was like, yep, I can finish on the podium today. There was that much confidence in the pace of the Mercedes. We know this is a car that's worked better over the race distances. It really does come alive on Sunday compared to the Saturdays. But for me, it was just uh, it was just the ease with which that Hamilton and Russell could take that double podium. They never really looked Any threat at all, they were a clear step ahead of 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 science. Uh, Obviously, the Aston Martins didn't really come into the picture. Perez was too far behind to get any kind of late charge and and to catch up. So, I think that Mercedes can be really pleased with this weekend. I think that we could well look back on this weekend as being a big turning point for them with the development of this car and the the push and path back toward the top and i think that uh yeah it just it bodes well for their season moving forward i think that they can be really really pleased with what they've done it is only the start and it's not where they want to be because if they're not first then they're they're not interested (laughs) so to speak but they um yeah i think they can be really really pleased with the uh, step forward that they showed over the spain weekend
0: There's a bit of argument, I guess, over how true the gap between Verstappen and Hamilton, or Verstappen and the Mercedes drivers, for the sake of argument, let's say, was. It ended up being about 24 seconds. Uh, It was clear that Max Verstappen was managing, set the fastest lap of the race quite late, and did it pretty easily and effortlessly in the way he tends to when he's told he's not allowed to set them. Uh, and then, on the other hand, Toto Wolff said that well, there was a certain point in the race where Hamilton essentially engaged cruise mode himself, and maybe was costing. I think he even said up to three seconds a lap. Said maybe the truer gap would be ten to fifteen seconds. Does that tally, considering that Perez started on the grid ahead of Russell, had a worse start, admittedly. So by the end of the first lap, wasn't ahead of Russell, but still could
1: not catch him. Yeah, it's a it's a funny one, isn't it? I think that I think. I don't think Verstappen was pushing either, though. That's the thing. Like, he didn't really need to towards the end. He wanted that fastest lap. But otherwise, it was all about management. And the only times I think this season we've really seen the Red Bull stretch its legs is when it's been Verstappen and Perez, one and two, in either order. And they've they've had to push because they're fighting each other. But it's, yeah, I, I, I get your point. I think that it... It's definitely a step forward from Mercedes, but I just really think it's... I don't think that gap's Red Bull has shrunk dramatically. Like, it is surprising how much of a step they took maybe over Ferrari, over Aston Martin, and both those teams had poor weekends. So whether that obviously factors into it as well whether that's maybe flattered Mercedes a little bit but I think that yeah realistically that gap's been kind of it's been kind of similar all season hasn't it this happens while well, most of these races by 20 odd seconds uh, ahead of the Mercedes cars so I think that yeah, I get where Wolf is coming from, but I think it does cut both ways. I think that, yeah, for Perez, it was it was a case that he didn't really do enough in that opening stint. I think that's what really, really hurt him. And um, yeah, okay, Mercedes to be able to hang on to second and third does point to a step forward. But also, I think you've got to factor in that Perez didn't have the best of races, and and probably should have done better uh, than fourth.
0: The argument that actually Aston Martin made everyone look a little bit better, perhaps than they would have, because they had a rare weekend—is it? Uh, We're off weekend rather—is an interesting one. We haven't really seen. A non, obviously there's been one round in which they didn't score a podium, which was Azerbaijan, but that was sort of a bit of an odd race with very limited passing, and you got the sense that probably Alonso at least had the pace to finish on the podium there. This weekend never really seemed to get it together. I know we've already mentioned Fernando Alonso thinks he should have been on the front row, and are arguments for that, his car was damaged, but it is also a bit of an Alonso argument. Anyway, in the end they finished behind science fairly far behind science as well, so in this sort of... Middle ground A little bit of a no man's land I suppose Is this the first challenge to how far or or how well we'll consider Aston Martin's season in retrospect. They've had such a good run and earned that good run, we should say. It's not as if they've lucked into it. But now that we've seen upgraded cars from two of its biggest rivals, Mercedes and Ferrari, two teams that generally know what they're doing, is this sort of a sign that maybe there's going to be a little bit more to this story than the first six rounds have suggested? Or is this particular to the circumstances of this weekend?
1: Uh, I think think time will tell on that one. I think that Aston will obviously want this to be a, a blip weekend, just like, yeah, not not a good race put it down to that but i think that this does show that for them the mercedes and ferrari threat is very very real that ultimately they've got to keep up in this development race because yeah a weekend like this mercedes was so far clear it wasn't it wasn't even close really so i think that that is maybe a little bit of a wake up call i think aston have as you say performed brilliantly at the start of the season alonso in particular but even if alonso had qualified second like Really, probably six would have been his ceiling. I think he would have probably started ahead of Stroll and therefore beaten him because he wouldn't have just sat behind him and saying like, oh no, we want to protect the results. And it's like, okay. Um, but I think that, I, I think that, I think it was really still the maximum master martin could have done either way so yeah i think for them it, it's maybe a sort of first first setback weekend really because even baku it's like okay that was such a difficult race for overtaking and Leclerc was just really on song that weekend and that kind of reasoned why alonso couldn't get in the fight there and he still put in a very good race i think alonso so i think that yeah they need to they need to regroup a little bit and i think they'll just look back at this weekend and say okay where did things go so wrong why didn't it work so well with this track it's a car that's been very solid across this opening round of races but they'll want to be sure that as we get into these more traditional style circuits that it's not a characteristic and not a sort of um not where they're at moving forward because yeah it's worked so well on the street tracks on the sort of like tighter layouts but Similar to Verstappen, how he's going to likely excel across this run of particularly the European swing through July. Aston Martin will want to make sure that this isn't a car that's just a sort of, um, yes, yeah, street specialist or anything like that.
0: Yeah, really good call on that, in fact. I mean, we talk about this being the, the marker at which we can start to see a, a more general picture of performance and that sort of brings its own question to the Aston Martin performance. I think for the team's sake, they said the first stint again was the one, similar to other drivers, I guess, that undid the race. They had no new tyres to use in this race either, and they did finish in formation. Sixth Stroll, seventh Alonso, with Alonso doing... Well, I feel like it's becoming increasingly on brand for him, although I don't know exactly what's behind the brand, uh, choosing not to pass Lance Stroll and uh, doing the team game. Good for him. There's a final point I do want to talk about, The I mean, this was a, a powerful undercut race because the new tyres... Uh, on a car tended to be so effective. We saw two drivers use that to really quite good effect, Joe Guan and Yuki Tsunoda, who looked like they were on for points, or at least one of them would have been on for points. They came to blows around about 10 laps from the finish, and Tsunoda ended up being slapped with a five second penalty that dropped him out of the points. Joe secured those points. So I guess from that perspective, the strategy did work off for at least one of them. I want to talk about that incident in particular. I mean, on a weekend, the stewarding has been such a talking point, largely because of Gunther Steiner. (laughs) This was, I think, an interesting example to look back on in the context of this year. We have these new guidelines about how you can overtake in the inside and the outside and that kind of thing. Was this a penalty for you? Or was this, uh, I mean, there was quite contention between the, driving, the drivers. Or was this uh, just an example of fair late race racing that maybe should have been allowed to, to, to go?
1: Yeah, I, I think it was. I think it was fair. I think it was, it was hard, definitely. Like, Sonoda didn't leave a lot of room for Joe but Joe for my liking wasn't as far alongside as he needed to be we know there's this kind of unwritten rule book in terms of overtaking etiquette and who, who has the right to a corner and things like that and Joe was um yeah he was he was going on on the outside and you kind of know you know how it is when you're on the outside like ultimately if there's a wall there or something then you know the risk you're going to be put at very different in Spain obviously but for me I think Sonoda was he wasn't going to let Joe pass at all. Like that was that was very clear. It was a very uh, bold defensive move. But I don't think it was. Yeah, I don't think it was forcing another driver off the track or anything like that. Like he, I think he left the room that Joe was entitled to. I don't think he'd earned the right to get a full car's width around that corner. So yeah, it was it was harsh. And I I feel for Yuki because it was a really good race up to them. But you've also got to wonder, like, yeah. Pushing that much to the limit that late on in the race when you're sitting ninth, there's going to be a point on offer, even if you lose this position. Like, did you maybe just get a little bit too hot under the collar? But yeah, we want to see hard racing. We don't want to see drivers just like attempting an overtake, bailing out, or anything like that. Um, and similar with the defensive moves. So uh, yeah, I think. For my liking, it wasn't a penalty. It was it was tough. Like it was a really bold, I think, defensive move from Sonoda, but it didn't quite go over the line that the stewards deemed that it did ultimately.
0: Yeah, I think that is a, a fair call, and it was really quite a disciplined race from both of them. But I feel like we're giving Sonoda maybe a little bit more attention as well, considering uh, he needed to step forward this year and appears to be doing absolutely that. And wait and see if that car can pull itself together by the end of the season. That was the Spanish Grand Prix. Pretty comprehensive win for Max Verstappen. Less so for Red Bull Racing. We'll wait and see if Sergio Perez can pick up the pace and give us something to get excited about for the rest of the year. Uh, But, Luke, it was a pleasure to have you on the show and uh, talk about it with you. Before I let you go, though, uh, if people want to hear more from you, uh, next weekend, the Canadian Grand Prix, you're appearing on our sister podcast, uh, Pit Pass F1. It's a, a daily wrap of all the events at the track, what should we be looking forward to at the Canadian Grand Prix? You think it's normally a pretty popular event, but also a little bit of a, as we've sort of mentioned, a bit of an outlier in terms of the run of European races we tend to have at this time of the year.
1: It is, yeah. I always, I always enjoy Montreal. I think it's always quite a, uh, it's quite a newsy Grand Prix as well. I always find. I think we have, um, we always last year, for example, was where the porpoising debate really kicked off mm. and the FIA intervening and that famous team principal meeting that we've now seen on <laughs> uh, on Netflix, obviously. And yeah, I think that interesting that lewis hamilton said after the race that he had a meeting with toto wolf uh, lined up for well i guess it would be yesterday now so i do wonder if there'll be any updates on lewis's mercedes future and what's going on there but overall yeah it's a it's a race that is always fun it always throws up maybe a little bit of a a, a different result it's one that easily punishes mistakes and things like that so i think it'll be quite interesting how red bull can keep this run going like Verstappen obviously is going to be the favourite. Perez, does he come a little bit more into the picture because of the street-esque elements of this circuit? Uh, But yeah, I think it should be a really fun weekend. I think it's always one that produces a lot of good storylines. Normally a really good race as well, like... I can't think of the last Canadian Grand Prix where I was like yeah like there's always something going on somewhere so I think uh, yeah it should be should be a good weekend looking forward to getting back on the mic for that because uh, yeah I was meant to do Emila but obviously that got um, uh, called off so uh, yeah it'll be nice to be uh, back in the groove and bringing the updates from Montreal I look forward to hearing from them you can subscribe to Pit Pass F1 wherever you get your favourite podcasts alongside the strategy
0: report you'll be well covered for the Canadian Grand Prix Luke so good to chat with you thank you Michael really appreciate it If Spain is the acid test for the season, then you don't need me to tell you that Max Verstappen looks set to crush the opposition. But there's still some intrigue around the battle behind him with Mercedes, Ferrari and Aston Martin all taking big steps forward from weekend to weekend. Let's just hope it's enough to place them well for 2024 and maybe even later this season. Thanks very much to Luke Smith for joining me. You can subscribe to The Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll catch you in a couple of weeks for the Canadian Grand Prix. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and this is Pit Pass F1